Welcome to another exciting episode of the Darren Batchelder Multifamily Real Estate Investing Show. Our distinguished guest for today is a powerful force in the world of real estate and entrepreneurship, Terrence Murphy. From an impressive college and NFL football career to building a real estate empire, Terrence's journey is nothing short of remarkable. As the CEO and founder of the Terrence Murphy Companies and TM5, he's brokered over $1 billion in volume and closed more than 6,000 transactions. Terrence is also a real estate developer and commercial real estate investor with over $100 million in personal acquisitions and development. Stay tuned as we delve into his wealth of knowledge and experience. But before we get started, we partner with other highly experienced operators to acquire and operate value-add multifamily properties in growth markets. If you are an accredited investor and would like to be considered for new investment opportunities, visit darrenbatchelder.com forward slash investor call and schedule your discovery call. This episode is sponsored by Cashflow Portal, real estate syndication software that accelerates capital raising. I'm both an LP and a GP in many multifamily deals. I've used many different software applications for the capital raising process, and I like Cashflow Portal the most. I'm so confident in the software and the Cashflow Portal team that I've become an investor in the company. If you are a syndicator looking for a software platform, then let the Cashflow Portal team know that you heard about them on Darren's podcast and you will automatically receive three months off an annual contract. You can find the company at cashflowportal.com. Welcome to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show. Each week, you will learn how to grow your wealth through real estate investing. Be introduced to the players that are getting it done and learn how you can get involved. And now, here's your host, Darren Batchelder. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very special guest. We've got Terrence Murphy. Terrence, appreciate you coming on the show. Man, it's good to reconnect, man. You were on my podcast almost three years ago. It was a while ago, yeah. Really excited to reconnect with you, brother. Well, fantastic. So a little bit on how uh, Terrence and I know each other. As he mentioned, I was on his podcast about three years ago, and um, I am extremely honored to have Terrence on. He is, um, you know, a Texas A&M grad, was one of the top wide receivers within Texas A&M, broke records. Um, my son went to A&M, and, and he... He was really jealous when I when he when I told him I was uh, going to be talking to you again. So then he went on to play for the Green Bay Packers. Um, so not only excelled at the collegiate level, but also uh, went on to play in the NFL. And then has since started um, in real estate and has excelled in that avenue as well. So I appreciate you coming on. I I am looking forward to this. And um, you know, first question I typically ask is how many properties and how many units you're invested in. Yeah, man. Um, so I started in real estate at 22 or 23 and uh, I'm north of a thousand units in my portfolio. But the majority of my portfolio, I raise no capital. So it's just me and my wife acquiring those units 
and um, building a portfolio over time. And so we do small apartment complexes, townhomes, duplexes, and single family rentals. And obviously really focused on uh, college markets. So a thousand units and I have 52 companies under my Terrence Murphy Companies portfolio. He says it's so humble, you know, like you, you got people that in the multifamily world, you know, people talk about units all the time. Like I'm in 9,000 units and 10,000 units and 4,000 units, but most people, you know, own 1%, yeah. you know, or something like that. And so, you know, Terrence is saying that he's got a thousand units that are just between him and his wife. And he's, what, how many companies did you say you've, you've invested in or started? Yeah, 52 plus companies. So we have uh, about 20 companies that we started and founded. Another good amount of those that we acquired. And then the rest we invested in as, uh, you know, advisors and, and venture capital. But I actually just put two more businesses under contract this week. One that we're buying in Phoenix, Arizona, we're really excited about. And then we're also become a minority owner and a pro sports team. So we've been kind of doing it across the gamut. But I just started raising capital two years ago. Um, so for the last 18 years, it's just been me and my wife bootstrapping our startups, raising capital, um, you know, reinvesting, you know, us having a career and then our money having a career. So everything we've done and has been just us funding a lot of it. But yeah, we just I just personally crossed the four billion dollar mark for sales and acquisitions. And it's a really big milestone for me. So we're going to get into the real estate and the businesses, but you know, just in general, like going from high school to college, being one of the top college guys, going into the NFL, then starting your own companies, all of that tells me, you know, you excel, you rise to the top, you know? So what do you think, you know, I just want to get your, pick your brain in terms of keys to success Mm -hmm. you know, in general, rather than just in real estate? Yeah, in general, I always say uh, I have a lot of different acronyms and mottos and things like that. But one of mine is the one brick mentality. What I mean by the one brick mentality is just truly building it one brick at a time, one day, one deal, one week. And now because we're out of the industrial age, we've moved into the information age we're so inundated with content. And so we always feel like we got to compete. We always feel like we got to rush the process. And I told people when I was five years old, my, my mom bought me a Doug Williams Redskins jersey and helmet. And it was my first little football uniform. And in that moment, having that helmet on and saying I wanted to be a quarterback, I decided then I was going to make it to the NFL. So from that moment, it took me 17 years to accomplish a dream. And so I understand the process of playing the long game. And that's why I was always at this point, this this decision in in my career. Should I go raise capital and go get more units and more businesses or should I just keep kind of bootstrapping it and building it? And um, but, yeah, I would just encourage everybody one brick mentality and, you know, find your career, find your and it won't be a passion in the beginning, but find something you're interested in, learn your craft. And when you become the best, the resources will find you every time. So. A lot of five years old, I could picture you with the the helmet, like you're probably, you know, in the house running around with no shirt on and a yep. helmet on probably. But um, there's a lot of kids that, you know, are doing that at, at mm -hmm. that age, but they don't follow through. So, you know, how, you know, how, what was different about you and your mindset that allowed you to continue to follow through for those 17 years? Yeah, I would say... Um, you know, there was a, a couple years ago, the Bulls put out that 
um, documentary about Michael Jordan and everything. And a lot of my right. teammates that play with me text me. I hadn't even seen the documentary. Yet. I just started getting text messages saying, I didn't know you played for the Bulls, like joking around. And so they were just comparing me to Jordan. And I'm nowhere near who Michael Jordan is as an athlete and as an entrepreneur. But from a mindset standpoint, I have that similar mindset of Kobe and the Michael Jordan. I'm really competitive. I want to win. Um, and it's almost, it's more of a conqueror mentality. Like, I don't want to just beat you. I want to, like, crush you. And so that's always been the mentality that I've had. And growing up, being the baby boy of seven and being with a single mom, humble beginnings, I know what it feels like to be considered on the, you know, low on the totem pole financially and all those reasons. And I know growing up, my mom would always tell me, no matter where we're at financially right now, son, if you put in the work and you keep the faith, you can accomplish anything. And she pounded that in my head. So now one of my also my mottos at 40, I still say hard work and faith, anything is possible. So I'm teaching my kids that now, like if you truly believe in your mind and then not just have the faith in yourself, but have the faith in a bigger uh, vision for your life and you put in the work. So what separated me was when the going got tough. When the success came and when the hard days came, I stayed steady and I stayed consistent. And um, I just had this mentality that if I just outworked every person, no one could stop me from accomplishing what was in my mind. That's huge. Um, you're lucky to have a mom that instilled that into you. And, you know, even still, there's people that have people around them that encourage them. But you have to believe it yourself. Yeah. Right? And, and you believed that you could do it. Um, what would you say to, you know, I, I'm talking more in terms of uh, real estate, but, you know, it's anything in life, you know, starting your own business, whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever your dream is, there's so many people that let fear stop them from, from moving forward and taking that risk. What would you tell those people? I would say... You see people who have fear because they either haven't prepared enough, you haven't done the things you needed to do. That's where anxiety comes in. And I've had my bout with depression. I've had my bout with anxiety and panic attacks. So I know mental health is real. And I'm very sensitive to that topic because I've battled through it. You know, I, I had the neck injury my rookie year in the NFL and got paralyzed from the neck down. So I went through all those things and God restored me with neck surgeries and I have four screws in my neck, synthetic plates, but I'm here. I got, I'm, I'm using my arms. I'm walking around. So I say all that to say where fear comes in and like that experience was so traumatic. It could cast fear over the rest of my life. Sure. But it came a point where I had to decide that I'm going to find a way out of this hole, this hole of depression, this hole of man, I was there and it was taken away from me. You can't live in the past. You can't live too far in the future. And the only thing we have right now is the present. And so, you know, I really focus on, there's a scripture that I've been meditating on, Philippians 4 and 6. And it says in that scripture that if you um, don't worry and then pray specific prayers and then thank God in advance, and if you do those things, he will give you peace beyond man's understanding. So I really just try to stay in today and I try to stay in the moment. And meditation has been life-changing for me. I started meditating a couple of years ago, doing the Calm app and all those things that I thought was weird, juju, now I do it. And it's been, <laughs> you know, it's been really big for me in that, in that point of fear. So really understanding that there's tools 
that you need. Because I always thought, man, I'm Kobe Bryant mentality. I'm Michael Jordan mentality. I'll push through anything. But even that health-wise or mental, or you, it'll catch up with you. And so you need tools to help you get through those moments of fear. And at the end of the day, everybody puts on their pants just like you. So these business owners, these entrepreneurs, these developers, these multifamily gurus that have all these TikTok videos and Instagram videos that make you feel like you can't accomplish what they have, they all had to start somewhere. You know, I had to start somewhere. I like that. So one of the things that I, I so I'm also a man of faith. Um, one of the things that I, I struggle with at times is faith versus action. Yep. Right. So I, I'm, I like to take action, but the word also says to, you know, rely on God. Right. Yeah. That, you know, mix is sometimes difficult. You know, um, yeah. are you are you doing it yourself or are you relying on God's direction? I would say God can't steer a parked car. So if you're parked in the garage and you're praying, you, it's not much going to happen. So you got to pull out of the garage get going down the road. And then that's when he starts guiding you. So the action and the faith to me are the components of success. And that's why I always said hard work and faith. You got to take action. I remember when I retired and at 23 or 22, I'm retired, I'm depressed, I'm paralyzed. And I remember asking God, like, what am I going to do with my life? I had a degree from A&M. So I started saying, well, I can go back and get my MBA. And, and then I decided I want to do real estate. Well, I don't know anything about real estate. So it's like, well, all right, well, then what are you going to do? And in that moment, I got in the car, went to Barnes and Noble. It was before Amazon took off. And I went with a grocery basket and I went down the aisle and I just started pushing books in my basket, real estate, finance, development, land development, whatever. And I read 40 books in 16 months. Did you really? Mm-hmm. And that was my first step of faith and action. Because I knew if I didn't know anything, I was like, OK, what's what have I learned in life? Well, if I if I'm in the weight room longer than everyone else, if I'm working harder than them, they do 100 catches off the jugs. I would do 200 catches off the jugs. If guys would stay after practice for 20 minutes, I would stay for an hour. I just, whatever someone else was doing, I had to two exit, three exit. And it always got me good results. And so I just moved that into real estate and into business. I'm like, okay, if I read more books than everyone else, and if I study more than everyone else, how can I turn that into action? And that's how I got into real estate. Self-taught. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so you come out, you have these in, this injury, you come out and then you read these books, you get into real estate, talk about, you know, in real estate, there's a lot of different things you can do, right? I mean, yep. you can do residential, you could be a realtor, you can, you can invest in single family homes, multifamily homes, self-storage, RV parks, whatever. So how did you decide to, you know, pick the first thing? Yeah, so I started actually as a LP at 22. I was 22 years old, and I started investing with Stillwater Capital. So they're a big outfit out of Dallas. Some Aggie guys I know, very proud of them. They actually just got the new PGA headquarters in Frisco. So they're doing that multi-billion dollar development. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Very proud of those dudes. And I started investing with them, man. I just started in, in passively investing. And then I would say, listen, can I fly in and shadow you guys and be a part of the team and go look at deals and that's where I cut my teeth. And then I realized that I wasn't going to play any longer. I thought I was going to come back. So that that year I rehabbed and was going to play for the Texans or Buccaneers. Uh, there was a couple of teams that were really after me, but we just couldn't get the neck approved. And that's when I just decided to retire. 
And that's when I moved to College Station. I said, all right, I've been uh, investing passively for the last couple of years, but the stock market hit, market was tanking. And I said, look, if I'm going to lose my resources, I want to lose on my own education. And so that's when I said, all right, I'm just going to go out and start buying up what I can. I started buying up stuff in the one mile radius of Texas A&M's campus. People were asking me, why am I buying that junk? I was buying it. Then I started redeveloping, rezoning, replatting and going vertical. And that's how I built my first kind of new development project of townhomes and duplexes. It was like a 120 bed townhome project. Cause you know, in the traditional um, multifamily space, everybody talks units, but in student housing, we talk beds. So that's always that difference in conversation. And so that's how I kind of got into it. And then long story short, people would ask me, can you help me do what you do? And I said, well, I don't have a license. So I got my license and went to Keller Williams for a year, did seven transactions, didn't kick up much dust. And so I was like, what? I'm better than this. And so after seven deals, I started TM5. I started my own brokers from scratch. People kept telling me, you got to have a franchise. You need help. You don't know what you're doing. And we scaled it to 1.2 billion in sales in eight years. Holy cow. Yeah, in College Station. So it never been done by a startup, at least that I know, in the state of Texas. A startup with no franchise and no experience gets to a billion in sales in less than 10 years as a residential outfit. That's amazing. So, so in, in, you know, that also tells me that, look, we, when you become a college athlete and then you become a professional NFL athlete, it's you, right? You're being coached and it's your performance individually. Yes, you're part of a team, but you're trying to get your own stats and trying to help the team. But to grow a company, you know, from scratch to 1 billion in sales, you can't do that on your own. No. So how did you kind of transition from the, you know, Terrence performance Mm -hmm. to creating a team performance? That was the biggest thing that unlocked, like almost like unlocked uh, a cheat code. Uh, My whole life I had been a quarterback and I had about 20 D1 offers to play quarterback. Actually, my first couple offers were full academic offers to Rice and SMU, places like that. So my my mom wanted me to just go academically to college. She didn't want me to play football. But obviously, I wanted to play ball. So came to A&M. But the point is, I was always trying to figure out how to get my teammates to be motivated to do some of the extra things that I was doing. And they would come along sometimes, but I never found that consistency. And so when I got in business and I was doing everything on my own in the beginning, I started realizing that I needed help, but I needed to put people in the right seats. And so I started studying personality profiles. I started studying disc tests and I started hiring people based on their personality profiles versus just hiring them because they came in dressed well or had a good resume. I made those mistakes and had those bad hires. But when I started putting people in the right seats because of their personality profiles, they started excelling and doing things like transaction coordination and uh, lead generation better than I ever could. And I could do what I was really good at. And that's when we really took off. And I got my first offer. I didn't even understand M&As at the time, but I got my first offer in my mid-20s from Berkshire Hathaway made me an offer to acquire my company. And so that's when I was like, oh, okay. this." And then I started really studying EBITDA multiples and revenue multiples and how do you create value and why are they trying to acquire me? Why do they want me to partner? And that's when I got into, I told my wife at the time, if I don't take this M&A offer, I want to start buying other companies myself. So then that's when I started the Haritsu model. It's a Japanese model. Uh, intentional congruency. And I started buying affiliated businesses, title, mortgage, insurance. 
And that's kind of what got me into owning all the different companies. Oh, so it sounds like not, not only did you read those 40 books to get started, but as you started your company and started to grow, you continued to read and continued to learn. Is that? Yeah, 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 continue. Yeah, so I even challenged everybody to come with me. Two years ago, I did the 52-week challenge. It's a 52-week challenge where we read one book a week. And everybody in our in my different companies decided, you know, it was optional if they wanted to participate or if they wanted to kind of pop in and pop out. And we met five days a week in Clubhouse. And every Monday we checked in about the book of the week. And it just, you know, it created this environment where growth happens. You know, it, it, you know, growth is one of my core values in my core values acronym. And you only grow when you're consuming the right information. So that's one of the reasons that when people talk about mentors, I would have loved to have a mentor. I reached out to a lot of people, but everybody wanted to talk about the NFL or Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre or <laughs> when I, you know, caught a touchdown against OU and beat the number one team in the nation. No one was trying to mentor me. And so I'm not the type of guy to sit around and wait on a handout. So I just decided to mentor myself. That's great. But now you're, you're doing that. I, I, I saw you have, you have a coaching program, right? Yes, sir. So now you're trying to help the next group coming up. Yeah, I'm trying to really give them the right information. You know, we grew up in the industrial age if we were 70s, 80s and 90s babies. But now we're in the information age and really getting them information that they can consume and get right to the action. Like, that's the thing I think why people are really gravitated towards what I say. Um, you know, I moved over TM5 and merged with EXP two and a half years ago. And the first year I got in, I got voted out of 90,000 agents instructor of the year. Because people like that, I just get right to it. I give them things that they can execute. I'm not trying to upsell them on something. You know how you get those videos and those links and you just got to keep clicking and keep watching. It's like, just get to the point. Right. So I think that's why I got Instructor of the Year at EXP. And I think that's why the courses are doing well. And I'm not basing it on someone else's experiences and something. I, I'm basing it specifically on what I did to execute success. And I'm giving them, I'm giving them the real meat. And it's, the course is doing really, really well. Or the courses. That's fantastic. Well, I, th I think that, you know, what I've learned in this, this industry, this real estate industry, especially, uh, I mean, I'm in the multifamily world more so than in the single family world. I heard the single family world can be kind of very competitive where I think it's more collaborative in the, the multifamily world or lar least large scale, but people help each other. And you know, one thing that I tell a lot of people is, look, right now you're just getting into the industry and you're just trying to figure out how to grow your wealth yep. for your family. But yeah. three years from now, there's going to be somebody else in your network that's going to be like, how'd you do it, man? Mm -hmm. And teach me. And yep. that's the ripple effect. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, what started out as just for you and your family ends up impacting so many different people. Yeah, I think that's, that's the key component. And for me, no one can put me in a box because I'm in a lot of different rooms, right? I'm a, I'm a developer. I just finished a BFR. I was talking about BFRs. In What's a BFR? Built for rental neighborhoods. So um, I was talking about BFRs in 2008 when I was 24 years old. And I don't post a lot. Maybe I should do more posting. I started an Instagram and a YouTube but I was telling people, built for rentals is always going to do well. And then obviously a lot of those bigger developers, the Pulte Homes, the David Weekly, they got caught with lots when the market turned before. 
And so their new pivot, their new way of developing is we're going to build a neighborhood out. We're going to lease it all up. and We're going to sell it to private equity. That's why I think in 2021 and 2022, 33% of the homes sold in Texas were private equity firms. And so it's only, mm-hmm. it's only they're only going to buy more. Blackstone's only going to buy more houses. And, and so the point is, so I'm in the developer rooms because I develop neighborhoods. You know, I was actually developing neighborhoods inside of Jack Nicholas golf course communities. Um, but I also, you know, do multifamily like we talked about. But I sell ranches and I'm a broker, but I'm also a builder. And, you know, so I and I'm in VC and I'm in startup. So I kind of just I kind of move around from room to room. And that gives me a different perspective because I'm not just in one room. Right. So I read somewhere that you took a, a little break. So one, did, is, did that happen? And two, like, what was the, the purpose for that? And what did you, what did you learn from that process? Yeah, man, it's, um, it's uh, been really good. Like I told you when we first got on, I'm out at my ranch. I'm actually in a bunkhouse that I've turned into like a movie room, a half wannabe weight room. And I don't know what it is, but um, the point is I, at 38, I semi-retired. My goal was always to semi-retire at 40, and I did it two years earlier. So I retired at 22, and I took off a couple years just trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, start working on my MBA, start doing some stuff, and I really got back going at 25. So I took off like two and a half years, Um, and then I did it at 38. In the last two years, I've learned a lot about myself. I actually just put up a post where I said, these are the top 10 things that I've learned in the last two years from being semi-retired. Um, But the one big nugget from it all is that we all are replaceable. And there's a lot of times we sacrifice so much of our personal time with our wives, our kids, our spouses, our better halves, whatever, our own personal hobbies for success or for our client. And man, if we drop dead tomorrow, that client's going to pick up and call somebody else. And so just really settling in on truth. And I always say, turn the card over and read it for what it is. And I really just, I'm sitting in truth right now and really focused on what is bringing value to my life. And if it's not, and I'm not enjoying it, I'm slowly figuring out a way to unload it or give somebody else to run it. And I'm really just trying to focus on the things that are bringing, bringing value to my life. Everything, I, you know, there's still going to be points in time where you got to do things you don't want to do. That's called hard work. But at the same time, if there's people in your life and things that are always negative and just always draining you, man, get rid of it. And so in the last two years, that's what that's what I've learned and did. And I'm rejuvenated and I have some new tools going forward to go back out into the world. And I'm, I'm excited about it. That's all. That's awesome. I've, I've read that vacations are, are key in that regard to, you know, take vacations. You get a different perspective. You're in a different environment and you could all of a sudden come back with different clarity and a different um, outlook on how you're approaching your business and your family life. Um, but taking, you know, an extended period of time, I'm sure that that gives you all that much more reflection. Yeah. I was reading a book called deep, deep work. It's by Kyle Newport. I believe it's a professor, a PhD professor, and it's called deep work. But one of the points that he makes in that book, he talks about, why is it that when we're driving or in the shower or those kind of actions that some of our best ideas come to us? You know, when you're on the road driving with yeah. your wife, kids asleep or on their iPad and you're like, hey, babe, write that down. Or you're in a shower. You can't wait to get out and write it down because you're at a place of deep thought. And, and that's because you're sitting still 
or you're doing a repetitive task, that becomes an autopilot. You know, we drive every day. So then you just turn on the music and you forget about it. And it's like, okay, how do I get there more? Like, how do I slow down life? Because when you just run into the next deal, the next meeting, the next this, the next that, you never get a chance to have deep work and you never get a chance to sit with your own thoughts. And so as I've been studying breath work, there's a book that I'm reading now called Breath, really understanding why I should be breathing oxygen. Why do I need oxygen? Why do I need water? Those are two of the most important uh, things that I need along with rest and other things. But so I've really been studying how to, you know, my breathing exercises and just sitting with my own thoughts. And it's been really, really good. That's, that's huge. I'm a, I'm a thinker. And I'm, I remember telling my kids, like, just go in your room and think about, you know, like what you want. And yep. it's like foreign to them, like, it is. you know, because there's so much stimulation in the young generation, you know, with, with phones that it's really, really, really foreign to them to just be quiet be still and think, you know? Yeah. What do you, what do you mean? <laughs> you know? Yeah. So, Hey, uh, you mentioned before we got on that you start, you started this thing called bull, good bull capital. So what's the focus of, of that? Can you talk to talk about that piece a little bit? Yeah. So the story behind good bull capital, like I said earlier, everything that we had did up until about a year and a half ago, two years ago, was just been me and my wife bootstrapping the businesses raising, you know, putting together our own money to buy the real estate developments and just running razor thin, you know, just stretching the dollar, you know, really making the dollar work. And we never so raised. Why, why did you do it that way? I would say the reason I felt it was the right thing to do at the time, I probably wouldn't have did it that long, but I had been in the NFL, you know, I was a top draft pick. I was the face of A&M football my junior and senior year. You know, I didn't win the Heisman like Johnny Manziel, but I was the I was the guy. It is what it is. No one can take that away from me. Um, and I had always been getting pitched from different agents and runners, and everybody was pitching me stuff. I had a trash bag in my duplex of just letters from agents and people, and it was just inundating. And so when I got drafted, everybody wanted to pitch me a business deal. Invest in this, invest in that. And that's why you see a lot of guys that are pro athletes that lose a lot of money because they trust people with their resources and then they lose. Um, but I say that to say, I didn't want to be that to my teammates. Like Aaron Rodgers was my roommate. He's my, he's my best friend on the team. That's my guy. We don't talk like we used to, but that's my dude. And I have many other guys that played for a long time. And um, I probably would have still been playing had I not got injured. But the point is, I just didn't want to, I didn't want to feel like I was bothering them. And I, so that's the reason I decided that at the time, that was my thinking. Now, a couple of years ago, I have a client who's a billionaire. He's a good friend of mine. I've sold him a lot of real estate. And he sat me aside one day. He said, hey, man, why don't you ever let anybody invest in your developments? Everybody in this central Texas area knows about your neighborhoods and what you do and the student housing. But you never have you never have partners. And I thought I was doing the right thing. Like, hey, I'm not bothering anybody. Right. He said, hey, you're actually being a little selfish. And in my mind, I could not, that, that floored me. He said, you're being selfish. And I said, how? Because he said, because you know real estate, you've built a great track record, people trust you, you work for everything. Why would you not want to bring along some of your teammates, friends, or your clients and let them invest in your projects? And when you make money, they make money. And I was like, that's a really different perspective. I didn't think of it that way. Yeah. So, that's kind of why I started this Good Bull Capital. That's that's huge. I mean, I mean, you think 
The sounds like the in the beginning it was more it was kind of like the MLM like you know you get invited over from a friend and you know and they're part of some multi-level marketing thing and and you you get there and you realize oh no this is gonna be a pitch fest yeah and you didn't want to be that mm-hmm. you know but your billionaire friend told you hey look there's other people that you could be helping correct that, that you're not helping that was the word you can be helping them versus hurting them. And in my mind, I was like, I don't want to pitch. I don't want to bother them. So that was the pivot I made. And then my there was a guy on my financial team, um, Luke, who had started Good Bull Capital, him and Ethan. Ethan was an attorney. And I kind of helped them start it in a sense passively, but I didn't have the time to commit. And so I saw what they were doing with the gap loans. Good Bull oh. Capital does gap loans for multifamily developers and investors. So Ethan, GAO, gap mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, yeah. I, I've talked to him before, yeah. So you've partnered up with him? hmm Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. So, yeah, and that's where they really do a lot of the multi- There's a big need for that, for sure, the, the gap loans. It is. So they really focus on that piece where I'm, what I bring in is the stabilized real estate and then the mature business acquisition because obviously M&A and VC type. So I've really been doubling down on buying businesses all around in some belt states that are one to two million EBITDA. That's my number one thing right now that I'm doing. Does it matter what type of business? So I like essential type businesses like steel, lumber, glass, um, um, anything like that. I really try to stay away from businesses that are the minimal. They got to be 15 years old and one million in EBITDA. Uh, but I just bought a 55 year old company. And so I like buying these businesses that are 1 million to really 1 million to 5 million EBITDA. Cause once you jump 5 million EBITDA, you're competing against private equity. And so like bigger, stronger private equity, they can pay higher multiples, but they don't really play in that one to 3 million space, but there's millions of baby boomers that have businesses and there's not enough people to buy them. Right. So that's what I've been focused on. And so anyone that has businesses, obviously Texas is my number one state. I like Arizona. Um, I like the Carolinas. I like Florida and Utah and uh, Georgia. Those are really the states I've been focused on buying, not only multifamily, but businesses that are one to five million EBITDA. So anything you know of that's in that space, email me. I would be highly interested. <laughs> that's so, it's so interesting because that's a lot, man. Like football to single family to, you know, build for rent to multifamily to buying businesses I mean, that's a lot. I it's know. a lot. It really I is. Probably, you know, it, I needed a break a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, and here's the crazy part. They actually just put out the rankings at EXP. You know, it's a publicly traded billion dollar company, too. I think our market caps now at four billion dollars. And so now I've worked our partner with been a part of three different multi-billion dollar firms because um, obviously Green Bay is a multi-billion dollar firm and blah, blah, blah. So. But I just the rankings just came out, and out of ninety thousand agents, I'm top fifty overall uh, for FLA attraction, and I'm top one twenty five for a total org attraction. So I've done that in two and a half years. I hadn't even been at EXP three years, so I've already in the top fifty for FLA and top one twenty five for total org, and uh, I'm just getting started. So what I've been doing with that is I because I taught myself as a brand new agent how to scale my business, and I taught other brokers how to scale their businesses. I ran free masterminds for years. Now people are coming to me because when I reach out to them or they reach out to me, they know how organic my heart is about seeing real estate agents succeed. 
And the differentiator that I add for anybody that joins my, who's a real estate agent, if you're a real estate agent in all 50 states and in 25 countries, you can join my organization at eXp. But what I teach them to do is I teach them how to invest in real estate and I teach them how to buy businesses. That's the game changer that no broker is teaching real estate agents. They just want them to sell houses. But I teach them how to buy businesses and then I teach them how to own the real estate. And that's why people are pouring into my organization right now because I'm teaching them that. That's massive. You said you had free masterminds. There's so many paid masterminds yep. that you offer. So people now, so who are, the, who are those people that are going into those masterminds? Those are people in the EXP environment? No, man. What I was leading there for a while, uh, I was doing broker masterminds. So if you were a broker owner and you owned your brokerage, whether you are a franchise or not, I had people from Keller Williams, I had people from Remax. I had people from Berkshire Hathaway and I was training all these brokers on how to scale their businesses. And I did it for free just because I just, I love talking shop and I love seeing people succeed. And at the time, that was well before I ever joined eXp. So now that I'm in eXp, all those people are calling me saying, hey, I just, you know, I'm no longer at Remax or I'm leaving Keller Williams or I'm leaving Compass and I want to join you at eXp. They're just calling me. So that's the good thing about setting seeds and just having an organic heart. You know, I was setting seeds, didn't realize I was going to get the harvest later. Right, right, exactly. I was going to say, like, so you're doing all that just just out of the the joy of helping somebody. Yep. And then, and that was that was good enough reward. It's in itself to you, but then, you know, years down the road, all of a sudden, people are like, "Hey, I want to come come under your umbrella." Well, yeah, now I have a way to benefit. At the time, I was just TM5, a broker owner. I was a part of leading RE, but I was just here in College Station. So I had no way to financially benefit from them, even if they wanted to, unless they wanted to pay me. And they would always ask me, why are you doing this? I said, I just like talking shop and I want to see people win. And I expect you to, you know, it's the Paul Timothy type mentality, right? I found my Timothys and I just, my only thing I told them is, is you guys at some point got to go find your Timothys that you can now invest what I taught you into them and then tell them to do the same. That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Sometimes you don't know. I mean, like you, you said, um, you know, I had a situation where somebody called me, wanted me to go out and visit land and, and with them. And I, I'm not a big land guy. Um, my wife's like, well, what are you, what are you going to get out of this? It was like on a Saturday. It was like, I'm like, I don't have no idea, you know, but it, you know, I'll learn something. Yeah. And so I went down and, you know, they asked me some questions and, you know, I did the best I could answer. And next thing you know, we drove by another property that we, we both had, we're like, well, Hey, let's check, go check that out. And we went and looked next thing, you know, we talked to the property manager, we got on the phone with the owners and we, and we ended up partnering with them on some other deal. Like there we had, had no idea that that was going to happen, you yeah. know? And, and so Sometimes, like you said, you know, you, you just go and, but I think it has to be something that you enjoy too. Like you just, you would have just gotten joy out of helping that person. It wasn't like you were looking for that benefit in the end. No, I wasn't. I, I wish I had that kind of foresight to know that I was going to go to EXP and be able to partner with agents in 50 states and 25 countries. You know, I have the number one of the top teams in Canada now. I've never even been to Canada. Uh, I have, you know, have one of the top teams in Dubai. I've never been to Dubai, but I coach them online and I pour a lot into them. And then they take my, you know, real estate strategies and it's obviously working in other countries. So that's the benefit that I get now. Just seeing other people win 
And, and being able to partner, I tell people all the time, I'm looking to buy more businesses. That's the thing I'm doubling down on. I want to buy more businesses and I want to buy more multifamily. But what I've decided is I like just owning stuff myself. I did, I, you know, I raised capital on three or four deals, did the GP thing, bought a $40 million apartment, bought a $50 million apartment, did the $60 million apartment. I'd much rather buy the three to five to $10 million apartment and just own it myself. So that's been the big pivot that I've come off the ranch thinking. Like you said, what did you learn in the last two years? Yeah. I like owning stuff myself. But then at the same time, you're doing good bull capital. Yep. Yes. So on, remember, on the business. So like as far as the real estate, I like I just decided on the real estate multifamily. I like owning that myself specifically. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. I should, I should add that clarity. Yes, sir. Um. Man, I, I love, what, what about the, uh, so does the football background open doors for you? Yeah, I would say it is a catch 22. It really is. Um, because when you play football, when I first started trying to get a job out of college and out of the NFL, people always would say, well, you don't have anything on your resume. Well, you don't have any work experience. Well, you don't have any experience that applies to what you're looking to do. And so where everybody's parading us around and praising us when we catch a pigskin, no one wants to see how many touchdowns you caught on a resume if you're going to try to go work at Exxon Mobil or Chevron. Right. So it's like, damn, I couldn't do internships because I was at spring ball. I couldn't do internships because I was working throughout Christmas break. Like I didn't get a full college experience. People don't understand. That's why I try to stay out of the comment sections on social media because people are judging these kids and they think that it's just all, you know, easy, but they don't realize how much we sacrifice. Like people are dealing with a lot of injuries that we're paying for. Like people blown out knees and shoulders have CTE and they're paying for it themselves. They don't, we don't have healthcare. And we made the NCAA and our universities a lot of money. And now we're stuck footing the bill on the backside. Now, thank God that I've been blessed financially to be in a position I can do that. But I have a heart for student athletes who struggle to transition. So I have another vision one day to start another nonprofit helping student athletes transition uh, into real careers because we just we're, we're so that's where it hurts us. There's a lot more behind it. And then on the positive side, you can inspire kids that you can dream big. The game taught me a lot. The game I, I rode on my first private jet when I was 17. I was riding in private jets at 17 years old. They were flying to get me, to bring me to universities. And those experiences would have not happened without football. So I'm always appreciative. I'm grateful. And I always tell people, I didn't make Tom Brady money. I didn't get a second contract. I got injured my rookie year. But my signing bonus was C capital that I earned to give me an opportunity to learn what I was going to do next to invest and do things. Because I've made way more money, obviously, in real estate than I ever made in football. I only got paid to play football one year of my life and I played for 17, 18 years. <laughs> so what, what about, what about coaches? Any, any great coaches, great um, inspiration that you gathered that helped you um, build your character and build the way you operate your businesses? Yes. Yeah, I tell people all the time, you know, like I said earlier, I worked originally, my first job out of college was for a billion, a multi-billion dollar franchise, Green Bay Packers. Um, and I don't know what the market cap is on Green Bay now, but I know it's in the, it's in the mid, mid five billion plus range, four to five, six. 
But the point is, I wasn't just there catching touchdowns. I watched the way Green Bay ran that organization. And if you look at a lot of the training staff, the medical staff, they've been through three or four different coaching regimes, but all those people are still there. There's a reason why that's in place. And, and there was a time a couple of years ago, they put out a statistic. If you look at the 53-man roster, at, the, at one point, Green Bay only had like maybe 10 guys on the roster that played at other teams. So they draft you at Green Bay, and they keep you at Green Bay. You're staying. Yeah. So uh, I watched how they ran that organization. I learned a lot from how they dealt with that. And I learned a lot with how they dealt with my injury, being a second-round draft pick and how they handled everything. They really treated me the right – they did it They did it the right way. Um, and so R.C. Slocum, obviously, college. he's in the College Football Hall of Fame. He's a legend for Texas A&M and the Southwest Conference and the Big 12. He's a great friend of mine. He's like a dad to me. He's a great dude, and I love him. So R.C. Slocum made a big impact in my life. And then I have a lot of coaches that made an impact. You know, uh, James Franklin at Penn State is the head coach right now. He made a lot of impact on me. Um, and so there's a lot of guys that are uh, – there are great coaches that made an impact in my career. That's awesome. Um, well, thank you for sharing that. You know, that – it says something about you again that here you are, a, a teammate – you know, a player, but you're also looking at how the organization is run. And that, you know, for the listener's benefit, look, you could be working for a fantastic company, but maybe you're not in the role. Maybe you're not in the seat that you should be in, but you can still take advantage of watching how the organization runs the business and learn from that rather than just focus on your, your little piece of the pie. I like, I like that. Playing the long game. That's what I always say. There was a day after spring ball in Green Bay in the locker room at Lambeau Field. Uh, I just remember coming out of the shower and a bunch of guys were laughing and busting jokes. You know, this is the locker room, right? It's, it's ruthless. And Sam Congato was walking by. He was a running back and he was undrafted. And he had on scrubs. And everybody was joking and calling them names. And me, I just always operate different. I never get caught up in the crowd in a sense. This is what everybody's doing. I always stop and say, okay, how do I look at this different? And as he walked out, I put my clothes on real quick, ran out in the parking lot. I almost caught him right out in Lambeau Field. And I said, Sam, come. Why is everybody busting jokes? He's like, oh, they're just making fun of me. I said, why? He said, because I got scrubs on. I said, okay, so put that aside. Why do you have on scrubs? Where are you going? We got practice this evening. He said, I'm going to intern at the hospital in Green Bay because I'm going to go home to Africa and be an open heart surgeon. Wow. And that like punched me in the chest. And it made me think, wow, he's here on an NFL team trying to earn a roster spot. And in the middle of practices or at the end of the business day for us at Green Bay, instead of going home and watching film or sitting in the hot tub or whatever, he's going to go work at the hospital because he's got a bigger purpose. And that's when that really started stretching me on what can I do to make an impact. And that was when the vision of my Terrence Murphy camp, football, finance, and faith came in. And so over the last three years, I put on a free camp for, for my nonprofit for underprivileged kids in the community and athletes. And we talk about finance and faith. And we're teaching these babies about NILs. We're teaching them about finance. We're teaching them about things at a football camp. And we've had over 1,500 kids and volunteers in the last three years attend the camp. So it's been, it's been uh, doing really well. And that's, that's, that's awesome. Well, Terrence, what, how do people reach out to you if they want to get to know you a little bit better? 
what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah. I'd say uh, Instagram. I, I got an Instagram account, um, just Terrence C. Murphy. So T-E-R-R-E-N-C-E-C and then M-U-R-P-H-Y. Or just email me, uh, Terrence at TerrenceMurphy.com. Those are probably the best two ways. Hit me on Instagram or or message me in my inbox. If I can help in any way, I'd love to help. If you're raising money on a deal, um, especially buying businesses, things of that sort, I'm still I'm still interested. I like owning them myself, but I still invest passively. And then obviously, if you're a real estate broker and agent and I can help in any way, let me know. That's awesome. Well, Terrence, uh, my son graduated A&M. He, st- he started working, but um, we will definitely be back in town for for different games. So I will definitely look you up when I'm, when I'm in town and hopefully we can get together. I appreciate you coming on and um, you know, I wish you much success with, with a good bull capital and everything else that you've got going on. You really keep pushing and you keep growing and, and that's inspiration to, to everybody. Thank you, Darren. Thanks for your friendship and your encouragement, brother. All right, brother. Uh, Listeners until next week, signing off. Thank you for listening to Darren Batchelder's Real Estate Investing Show at darrenbatchelder.com. If you liked the episode, please provide us with a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast platform of choice. If you already provided us with a five-star review, then thank you. And please share the show with a friend. 